All right, well, uh, what's going on, everybody? And thanks for coming back to the channel. Today, I'm excited to have author Alex DeCampi uh, with me today. We're going to talk a little bit about her uh, upcoming release, Heartbreak Incorporated. But uh, first of all, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, it's, it's hotter than the surface of the sun in New York City, but I have the air conditioner going on in the background. So we're, we're enjoying the sunshine and the heat. That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I've had a couple of conversations with some authors in the UK the past you know week or so, and they're talking about how just insanely hot it is over there. And all I ever think of is like, doesn't it just rain there? Like the, the sun doesn't come out. So how can it get that hot? But and nobody they say it's miserable. And yeah. nobody has air conditioning because you don't need to. Like it, it's it's just, it's never that hot until it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you spend two weeks being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm sitting here in the South and you know, when it when it gets to, to be June, generally towards the end of June or beginning of July, it's like unbearable to be outside unless you're by a body of water. So, yeah. So, but um, I just kind of want to start off. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, about growing up, how you got into writing, uh, early influences, and maybe influences you have now for your writing career. Sure. I mean, I grew up, um, I grew up mostly outside Philadelphia. And then uh, after college, uh, I, I had very practical parents who were like, no, don't go into the arts, even though they were both arts graduates, which is crazy. But there you go, parenting. Um, and uh, I, uh, I moved to Hong Kong and lived there for five years. Um, and then I had a job which took me to the Philippines and then to Latin America and moved me to London. And then I spent 10 years in London, during which time I left my fancy job and started writing. Um, a whole bunch of things changed in my life as they occasionally do. So I started, you know, I, I'd been writing my entire life, both nonfiction and some fiction stuff that, that, that has never been published, for which I thank God every day. Um, you know, <laughs> when you're 20 and you're like, my, no one wants to read my manuscript and publish it, the answer is like, probably good, good. <laughs> keep writing, keep working, but maybe that one shouldn't see the light of day ever. Um, and uh, I started, I fell in with a bad crowd and started writing comics. Um, and I still write comics and graphic novels. I've written a bunch. Um, and uh, then a couple of years ago, I started moving into prose, um, which was, you know, an area I'd always wanted to go into. But my problem was that I love books, which are very literary, a lot of like very internal, very lyrical. I, I unfortunately write that in a, I can't write in that style. I can't write in the style that I enjoy reading books I buy at the bookshop. At. Um, I write because of my background is so much in scripting in a very external, um, fast-paced, action-related, um, spare way. I mean, people are always like people always say that they love my descriptions, and I'm like, well, they are like it is. They are surgical. Like it is, it is the illusion of description. I barely describe anything if you look carefully at my books. Um, you just think I do. Um, and so it took me a long time. And I actually experimented a lot in fanfic because um, it, was a, it was a wonderful supportive way to, to work on my prose um, where I could really focus on the storytelling rather than like having to develop the characters too much because you all know the characters, um, uh, the, the appeal of fanfic. Um, and um, you know, it took me about a hundred thousand words to find what I recognized as my voice from scripting because again, I'm a very show don't tell person in scripting. I, I especially with comics, I show it by the images and the reactions rather than a lot of dialogue. Um, you know, after about hundred thousand words, I felt like I could actually express what my scripting voice was, but in prose. And yeah, I did another couple hundred thousand words just to make sure, and just because it was fun. Um, and then started working on on the Scottish Boy, which is which is next to you, which was my my debut novel, which came out in May of last year, and then. Uh, Heartbreak Incorporated is my second, um, which comes out. Well, it just came out um, because once you post this, it will have just come out. Um, and uh, I'm now working on my third and fourth novels. I should have been further along on them. You're supposed to be like, have another novel ready to go when your second one went out. But the problem of working across like film, TV, uh, prose and graphic novels is like, sometimes your schedule is just insane. And I'm a single mom, yeah. so like it's, you know, I'm, this came out last year and there are like two other books and this just came out and like I have a lot of I've, I, I haven't been I haven't been slacking but um, I'm just a little slower on the follow up to 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 heartbreak. I gotcha. We'll get a sequel if it sells well. So yeah, that'd be awesome. So tell me a little bit about your uh, I guess your background in comics. I, I've only spoken to one other author who's who's I guess really been into comics, which is Mike Carey. 
Uh, I got to talk to him a little bit about all of his, you know, his background of that and then how he got into prose. Do, do you feel, I guess you kind of came in the same way that you kind of started out that way and then you found your voice and you started doing, uh, you know, novels. And I, I think he, you know, he still does a little bit with comics, but not quite as much anymore. Now yeah, that he's he just trilogy now. after trilogy now. <laughs> um, I mean, comics, I really enjoy comics. Um, I, it, it's wonderful collaborating with an artist um, and telling a very visual story. Um, the frustrating thing about comics is it has a really small readership and uh, the pay for writers and artists, it's, it's such a struggle to get a, a, a decent um, contract for comics that, that doesn't try to take all your rights um, and that will pay your artists enough to like, you know, a basic living wage, like, like more than they could make at McDonald's um, uh, to draw a book. And so getting a you know, producing a graphic novel as a writer is is just it takes so much energy like it just takes all the spoons um and i've done it and i continue to do it and i have new pitches out and i'm always probably going to be somewhere in in comics but it's just really 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 tough um because mm -hmm. of the, the the company landscape right now really um and i've done it you know like i I get good deals from my artists. We get the books out, um, but oh my God, I, the, the joy of just being able to kind of crawl into my writing cave and like a year later, I eat out a book like by myself. Like that's wonderful. It's so nice. It's such a nice balance compared to comics where it's like, you know, you write the story, you find the artist, they do some sample art, you try to find a deal. Like it's just, it's just such a slow process. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. No one a lot might of... want to publish the novel, but you know, that's like at least you have this thing that like you can put somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know a lot of uh, a lot of artists and a lot of uh, comic book writers are now turning to like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and so forth. I see a lot of uh, a lot of big uh, kind of Kickstarter campaigns for those. Um... My book with Duncan Jones that we kickstarted. Ah, oh, that's yep. that's a beautiful cover. Oh, it's a, it's in a slipcase. Hang on, we got. <laughs> it's back. I mean, this is gigantic. Um, Good night. That's the slipcase. Oh wow! Yeah, very nice. Get Lord. <laughs> but I say, yeah, I've uh, I've backed a couple on there uh, here recently. I'm a I'm a big fan of Ryan Brown. Uh, he and uh, Charles Sold did the uh, uh, Curse Words series yep. for yep. Image, and then uh, he's just put one out uh, for his omnibus of uh, God Hates Astronauts. So uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I I'm always like scrolling through trying to find like the next you know the next one to get. But yeah, those those yeah, books aren't small. I support a ton of Kickstarters too. Like I'm usually I usually get like five books a year out of Kickstarter, six books a year. Um, but yeah, last year we kickstarted Maddie, the, the the Duncan Jones book, and I also kickstarted an anthology called True War Stories, which is uh, 15 stories of from soldiers deployed soldiers from Vietnam to today. They're all they're all like true stories that. Um, uh, I and my co-editor uh, Kai adapted to comics the short comic stories it's like 260 pages it makes an awesome Father's Day gift so if you're like what should I get my dad get this book um true war great. Great. <laughs> okay. awesome um, I'll have to look at that, that that was also successfully kickstarted it's a really nice I, I don't actually have a copy of it because I just gave my last copy of it away to someone else I need to write to the publisher and be like uh send me more <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So, uh, so tell me, who uh, who are some of your influences growing up to kind of get you into writing? I mean, or you know, even into comic writing. Uh, well, I mean, my daughter's ten now, so I've been rediscovering some of my earliest reading influences through introducing them to her, which has been really joyful. Um, I introduced her to uh, Lloyd Alexander's uh, Prydain books, like The Horn King, Book of Three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Last last summer, yeah, it was last summer, and that was when she really first started reading like prose books and series. Um, and it was such a joy reading them with her because I was because sometimes when you look back at stuff that you that you read as a kid, you're like mm, maybe past Alex made some bad choices. Um, but this like this still just absolutely rocked. It was such a good uh, uh, series, and I highly recommend it. Lloyd Alexander. It starts with a book of three. Crack on! It's a wonderful series if you like fantasy books. Um, and books based on Welsh, Welsh mythology. Um, aside from that, like, you know, I read 
I read a, a metric ton of really bad science fiction and like fantasy. I mean, like I, like Anne Rice, Anne McCaffrey, Piers Anthony. Like if it was crap and published in the eighties, I read it. And like if it had a spaceship or a dragon on it, I read that shit. Uh, <laughs> it's it's honestly like shock that I can string words together at all. <laughs> After that, um, they were all delightful. Read bad books; it's fun. Read trash. Um, <laughs> Uh, I also read a lot of poetry, and I think that that I, I was I like went through a serious literary phase. I'm not still in it, to to um, to be fair. I still love poetry, and I think one of my bucket list uh, goals is to get back to writing poetry myself, um, to publish a book of poetry. Um, so I, I mean, I stole a John Ashbery book um, from my high school library. I still have it, and it's it's still massively influential on me. So that really taught me about. Um, a beautiful use of language and an economy of, of speech. Um, you know, beyond that, like, you know, some more literary people like Thomas Pynchon, um, Stanislav Lem, the Strugatsky brothers. Um, you know, I was a kid, like, every, every, like you can pigeonhole people by like the book in high school English that they really loved. Um, like, I don't talk to the catcher in the rye folks, like they could just, they just get a wee pass. Um, if they're really into like Holden Caulfield, they can, just beat themselves to the side, um, <laughs> but uh, I was I was I was team catch twenty two. <laughs> uh, see, I was I was team Green Mile. That was uh, or of Mice and Men. Okay. Those were those were my two that uh, that I really enjoyed because uh, I mean I, I remember I think one of the first ones that I really that I really hated that I had to read, and I might like it now, but probably not. But it was the Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, yeah, I yeah. could not get through that book, like for the life of me. What, my my sisters were going on college tours, and so I would just be sitting in the car while they go and tour buildings. And I'm just like, even with no sound, like no distractions, I still can't read this book. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was miserable. But I, I have to say two things. So Al Alexander was actually one of the authors that. Uh, so I went on Reddit before my daughter was born, and I asked, all right, what series should I start her out with, or what series should I read to her? while she's growing up and Alexander was, you know, huge in there, you know, had a lot of Lewis and Tolkien and stuff like that, which is, is your normal responses. Um, yeah, yeah. And the second thing, uh, Tolkien, I, I already. Tolkien's chunky for a young reader. Like she, yeah. she like, like she can hit Tolkien at like 12. Um, I mean, I struggled through the Silmarillion. I struggled through all of them. And then the Silmarillion, which I was never been more bored, but I made it through. Um, uh, and um, I yeah, Alexander is definitely more. I mean, Lorelai read it when she was she would have been like eight, I think, when she read it. So mm. she it was definitely uh, it's it that it definitely skews a little younger. I gotcha. And then the second thing is is I know I like you because you stole a high school library book. <laughs> of all the things you could steal from a high school library books, like not what you know is one of the last things you would you would think of but we'll take it and not only, know, not only a library book a poetry book like <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic so um tell me a little bit about how uh i guess you found your prose. i mean i know you said you know after doing a little bit of fanfic which i actually talked to js Dewis about um kind of how she found her voice and she also wrote a lot of fanfic uh, before she came out with the last watch, we came out a couple couple months ago from tour. Um, but tell me a little bit, you know, maybe how your writing process started with comics, how you got it into it into prose, and maybe how it may have stayed the same or changed since you know the Scottish boy came out to now. Right. Um, I know it's a very convoluted question. <laughs> I think. I mean, I think it was it was easier because because I was established in another writing form and I completed a bunch of projects. Um, it was easier for me to transition into prose, despite the like, oh my God, like I actually have to have whole sentences that other people will read part rather than just dialogue and panel description. Um, it was a lot easier for me because I had to master the, 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 the actual flow of the prose, but in terms of the nuts and bolts, writing stuff like character development, structure, pacing, I had, I had that. Like, so I came with, you know, probably 75% of the tools I needed um, developed to a very high level um, into novel writing. Um, a lot of the outlining process is the same. Um, I mean, I'm a, I, I do a mix of, and for, for every project, you know, I do a mix of um, like what people call pantsing, which is just winging it um, mm -hmm. and outlining. Like I, I will often wing it for like the first 
what I'll do is I'll have a few characters in my head and actually I've this is my moleskin. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Um, and I, my stories start here. Okay. Um, I start like generally. I'm just going about my life doing something, and a character bounces into my head, and then they won't leave, and they're just living rent free in my brain. And I write them eventually because they just I have to make them leave. Um, and Misha was one of those characters, as was as was Evie, um, the the two leads in Heartbreak Incorporated, and. I start jotting down notes about them. Um, and I'm very much a character writer. I, I don't consider like writers tend, there tends to be a spectrum of character writer to world builder in terms of what you start with first. Do you start with people and then the world generally coalesces around them? Or do you start with a, a, a world or a technology or a world problem and then you find people to solve that problem or deal with that problem? I'm very much a character person to the point that it's rare that I do big world, world building stuff because I just, I'm so busy with the characters, I just forget to give them like magic powers or stuff, you know, or 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 have interesting like space things happen. Right. Um, and so I start jotting notes in my notebook, and then I get to a point where, um, you know, like I'll generally get a few characters, and I'll get an opening really fast, but that's not enough for me to actually start writing seriously. I then start putting notes down about like you know, where it goes, who the bad guy is, how the story develops, like, and it's just messy and it takes months and months and months, and, but I'm not just working on that story. I'm like, you know, right now I'm, I'm getting art in on two large graphic novel projects. I'm pitching a middle grade comics project. I'm working on, I'm starting to write two prose novels. And then there's other things like randomly happening. So, um, you know, I've got a few projects, like a couple projects in production that are with artists that I don't, that they don't require writing. Um, I have a couple of projects that I'm seriously writing. And then there are a few things just living in the notebook that, that are developing. Um, I've got one right now where I just, you know, I, 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 know what I, I know what I want the themes to be. I know who the characters are. I don't have the story yet. It's just not falling together. Mm. Um, the second novel I'm working on fell together in a week. Like every book is different. And I, and, and I think a lot of people like, don't understand well they don't they don't accept this um where you know one book you might just like just come like straight out of your head like like athena out of zeus's brain um and it's just there and it's easy and wham there it is that's often an early book because it's it's you've got even thinking about it for a really long time and then it gets harder um some books take 10 years to come together some take a week mm -hmm. like just, you just don't know um, and I had the sci-fi book come together super fast um, with, you know, just the characters appeared, interesting problems appeared, actual themes appeared, you know, um, and it happened. Um, but once once I have all of that um, and, you know, a bunch of notes about like what the themes are and like what the characters have to overcome and what the ending is and blah, 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 you know, all those writing one-on-one things, um, I'll generally just barf out the opening um, just because I get, because that gives me the characters' voices. I'll also, I usually have it like, and it turns into this messy word document um, where I've just got like bits of dialogue from later scenes. Cause like you always think of some dialogue from like the middle of the damn book or like near the end, you know, like mm -hmm. the climax, like the critical dialogue between the guy and his love interest um, where they, he realizes that like he thought they were good and she thinks he's a good time. Like, um, and so you write that. Um, uh, and then I actually go through and I start being like, I start outlining it scene by scene. And please understand that when I say outline, I don't mean that horrible thing you had to do in high school with like, you know, I dot blah, 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 A, oh, or like, or anything tidy. Like it, it's ugly, like it's ugly and it's barely in English. Right. Um, there are sentences here and there. There's some temp dialogue. There's like, like, what about pacing question mark, question mark, like need, need a fight scene or drama here, you know, is this where we, we, we reveal about the people? Like, you know, so it, it's, it's just a really ugly, messy document, but I'm sitting there just after a certain point where I patchworked it enough, I just start chunking through and being like, right, this happens and that happens and that happens. And, and the reason I've spent so much time developing character first uh, and story first is like plot, plot is kind of the last thing like you know you can do plot like if you can you can like someone something can attack them you can make it exciting that's easy mm -hmm. um the hard part is is the actual story is why things happen and why things are happening between the people rather than the external like you know MacGuffins and stuff 
Um, and then, you know, once I've chunked through and got the actual plot together, like, the, and, 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 and the themes and where the themes develop, I can start actually writing it. Um, and then it's a question of, you know, generally writing from the beginning to the end. I will patchwork a little bit, like if I'm, you know, if I'm outlining and I've got something near the end that really like comes through to me, I'll write it. But the problem is because I write thrillers, they're very, they're very much a web of tension. So even though I outline fairly well, there is a lot of movement between the outline and the final book. Um, Cause you, you know, part of outlining things is so you can put it away and then you'll be like out at the, doing the groceries a day later going, oh wow, there's a much better way to do that. And then you rush home and you change it. Like you change something near the end that then you find, found a much more interesting or, or thematically relevant way to do it. Um, and then so then after you do a first draft of the book, um, you really want praise and validation that it's finished and it's lovely. Um, and you should not seek that. You should in fact put it in the drawer, go about your business for a month or two, pull it out of the drawer and then go at it again. Um, the thrillers aren't written, they're rewritten. Um, you know, Heartbreak was improved massively on the second draft. It was, it, it was, I thought it was a good book. It just got so much better once I had the bones of it down and then I could go back and say, oh, well, like, oh, this, this is too flabby or, oh, well, you know, we can make this character more interesting. Oh, well, we can raise the stakes here this way, etc. Um, and then once I've gone through a second draft of it, it goes to my agent and she sends back her notes. Um, she's quite editorial, which I like. Um, and then, you know, once we've got something we're happy with, we take it out. Um, I gotcha. Um, yeah, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, you're outlining, you, you said you were like, you know, we were at the grocery store or something. I could just imagine you like flipping over your list going, no, no, it's gotta be this way. <laughs> no tap, no tap on the phone, sending yeah. emails to yourself. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, kind of, kind of like a little napkin, you know, jot, you know, jot lines or whatever. <laughs> I'll show you, well, I, this is actually a fairly dark pen, but I can show you. I mean, this is how bad my handwriting is. Like, it's just almost illegible. But <laughs> there's some process about uh, writing it down that, that helps me think through it um yeah it helps you remember I, it i do second drafts also one thing i do is i print out the entire book um i send it to kinko's um and print it out double spaced on the right hand side only for longer books you have to turn it into two books because otherwise it looks like a phone book um and uh then i do the second draft on paper and that enables me to do nice things like go hang out at the dog park and do it in the sunshine or take it to the beach. Um, but I find there's something really valuable for me in, in being able to consider the scope of the work differently when it's on paper. And I can also concentrate more because I can't all tab over to Twitter on the paper when I didn't bring my phone, you know. Right. Um, and I just handwrite the corrections. And then there, that, that essentially causes a, a sneaky third draft because I do my handwriting, I cross bits out and I write new paragraphs on the left-hand side on the blank page. Um, and then I have to transfer all of it to the, to, to the Word document. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I do that, um, that enables me to like re reconsider and repolish some of that, that dialogue. And then, you know, eventually it gets published, you know, you get picked up by a publisher, the publisher sends their notes, you do those, you get sent to a copy editor, you have the worst day of your life because the copy editor comes back with stuff and you're like, and you curl up in shame realizing that you don't actually know how English works um, and facts, like it's a fact. Um, and- uh, so It comes back with the red pen or all the comments, you know, and you're just like, ah. No, my, I, I have the same copy editor for all my books. Uh, ah. I love her. Um, she's really, really good, uh, uh, Tamsin. Um, and she just goes over things like, I would much rather have Tamsin catch me out on stuff and readers be like, what is it? You know? And so stuff that I hadn't considered that might be confusing. She's like, you know, like I'm confused by this or like she, you know, and she checks stuff. Um, you know, she's the one to like, you know, this is a lovely metaphor, but you've used it three times in the book. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> it's so great. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, she she catches these things and and um, 
and is you know it's a great process but like the copy editing process is always a little bit of a come to jesus moment for a writer because you think you're doing so well and you english good but no you english no good <laughs> english bad <laughs> well um i want you to talk a little bit about your first book so the scottish boy so this is a uh, joey hi-fi's gorgeous cover that i just had to get a copy of um Yay. and uh he actually reached out to me on instagram afterwards and said and, and said a big thank you so uh but He's i want i want to he really is and and all of his covers are fantastic but this one just yeah. really stood out to me so yeah, I know. Uh -huh. um but tell tell the audience a little bit about it i just ripped the headphone out that was cute um <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then we'll talk a little bit about heartbreak sure um the scottish boy is a queer medieval thriller um it's uh about um a young uh a young knight uh, uh, whose, whose, whose parents died very early, um, who, uh, you know, essentially has a bankrupt estate uh, down in Devon in, in the southwest of England, really beautiful area, but like very little money. Um, and he rides north to war um, in King Edward III's war against the Scottish in 1333. Um, unfortunately, because he was delayed by his mother dying, he gets there just after the decisive, the then decisive battle with the Scottish has ended and it was a battle full of glory and he he arrives the next day. Um, and uh, he essentially um, gets used by one of the uh, one of the barons engaged in political machinations around the throne who's trying to make various things happen um, and forced to take care of a young Scottish prisoner, young, like a year younger than him, like he's 18, the Scottish prisoner is 17. So they're, you know, they're very similar in ages um, that, that they sneak behind the Scottish border and take from this, from this also like, you know, nearly obviously very poor uh, uh, castle. Um, and he takes them all the way back down to, to Devon um, and tries to keep him from escaping. Um, um, and the joke is that the guy's supposed to become a squire, the Scottish boy is supposed to become his squire because he's just become a knight. Um, he was knighted almost out of pity because of his parents dying by the king, um, and um, and now he must have a squire. Um, and they, uh, the Scottish boy is is the mystery of why these English barons are interested in the Scottish boy and holding on to him, and what um, what Harry the the young knight can do to uh, avoid the political the web of political machinations he's in, and also not bankrupt his estate is 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 the is the meat of the book and it's set during a really colorful period of british his, of english history uh where we were pretty much still constantly at war with scotland we were in the middle of going to war with france um there is tons of like jousting and uh intrigue at court and like it's a very fast-paced thriller novel that happens to take place in the 1330s and if you loved if you grew up as i did reading like king arthur stories and books about knights, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of my love letter to, you know, Ivanhoe and all, like all those books and movies about, about knights that I grew up just absolutely enchanted with. I say, I, I would ask you about your, your influence behind the story, but you, you kind of just gave it to me, so. <laughs> well, I grew up outside Philadelphia and we had a local, a famous local illustrator, well, several famous local illustrators in the Delaware Valley, one of whom was um, uh, Howard Pyle, who did a beautifully illustrated a uh, series of books of King Arthur translations um, uh, that I read eagerly. I think every child my age in the Delaware Valley at that point had that. And we also had NCYF, who was the great, like, you know, early teens and 20s illustrator of children's books. I had, both of these people were really famous in the teens and 20s, um, you know, so over 100 years ago. Um, and so, like, yeah, I was, I was really into, I, I, I went from, like, dinosaurs to ancient Egypt to knights. You know, that was, that was the project. That was it, how it went. <laughs> hey, I can get behind dinosaurs. That was like my thing growing up, you know, it was like, it's like dinosaurs and like all like the big crazes. Cause you know, it's like when like Game Boys and stuff came out. So it was, you know, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I actually got into like reading like Stephen King and Dean Koontz in high school. <laughs> and then, and then it's, it's just, it's just history from there. So, yeah, yeah. because, because now I'm just, all fantasy and horror so <laughs> um, yeah i mean Scottish boys a really fun kind of page turny uh like really sexy beach read so that's the sort of like it's a really good escapist you know because you're reading about the 1330s um and i think one of the things that i felt i i tried to 
the, the one, one of the things I, I felt I did really successfully in the book was make the time period accessible. Like it doesn't feel like a history lesson and you're not stopping to wonder what's going on and like how they're living and stuff like that. You're just in the middle of it. Um, and you know, the, 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 the tournaments and the joust, they feel like, like almost like a music festival in terms of going and camping out and what, what's happening. Um, so it's all, it, hopefully like, I mean, I, you know, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not the reader, but hopefully it, it, it you really get a feel for, for, um, for the, for the time they're living in. Okay. Fantastic. Well, uh, now let's talk about Heartbreak Incorporated. So it's going to be publishing on the 22nd, which if I remember my dates correctly, it'll be out by the time this airs, but, yes. uh, but yeah, it's coming from Rebellion and, um, and I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a read. It's, it's actually my next read that's coming up um, okay. and I'll have a review by the time this comes out, but um, just tell, tell us a little bit about it. Tell us, you know, the influence behind the story uh, and then we'll go from there. It's fundamentally another thriller. Um, you know, again, a, like what I do, like I do really page turning, like twisty. Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Kind of like, uh kind of books um I, it comes out of the you know the writing comics where you know you have to have the cliffhanger at the end of every issue um and it com comes from lloyd alexander who like because he, he had a, he had a, the most awesome cliffhangers at the end of every every chapter of um the book of three and like you just flew through that because it was it was it was like oh my god i have to figure out what happens um and so that's my goal with my books um uh, heartbreak incorporated is about an agency um well there there are tons of agencies and apps and all sorts of ways of, of bringing people together and helping them form relationships. Heartbreak Incorporated is about an agency that breaks people up. So, and they mostly handle the super rich. So if you're Jeff Bezos and you want to divorce Mackenzie, but you don't like you, you don't want to have to pay or half your company because of the prenup, you like dispatch Heartbreak Incorporated to seduce her, have an affair with her, make it public. And then she cheated. So like she violated the prenup. Or if you are a, a rich family and your son or daughter um, starts dating someone that, that, that they think is an absolute gold digger, uh, you get heartbreak incorporated in to get rid of them. They dispel mistresses, like if you're, you know, if you're, if your husband or, or, or wife has a mistress, um, you get them in and they get rid of the mistress very, very, very quietly and cleanly. Um, and and our, our lead character is run by a very enigmatic character named, named Nisha. Um, who's, um, uh, uh, well, the less said about Misha, the better. Um, you still have to, have to meet him. Um, our, our main character is uh, Evie Cross, who's a young um, mid-20s gal living in New York City who uh, has a, you know, graduated with a journalism degree from Northwestern, just as like journalism stopped being an, a, like a paying occupation for most people. Um, and you know, she, she dreams of being an investigative journalist and can't get anything but internships basically. Um, and so she's been temping and she's at that stage of like the onion headline, like local man admits the day job is job. Um, uh, and, and she's barely affording New York City. So she, she lives with her, her, her friend and roommate Claudia in this like tiny apartment in Bed-Stuy um, and Claudia like works at a catering company. And you know, they, they just, they have, they, like she has a bedroom where she reaches out both her hands. She can touch like both the walls. Um, if it's like a twin bed and, and barely a dresser and like the clothing racks are in, in the living room, which can fit the clothing racks, a TV and a two seater sofa, like it's tiny, like it's a real New York apartment. Okay, I'm, I'm tired of these stories about people living in New York. I'm like, oh, she's just starting out. She has a three bedroom in Hell's Kitchen. Oh gosh. <laughs> you, mean, you mean those stories aren't true? <laughs> um, and um, she, uh, you know, she, she's having trouble getting temp work. Um, she uh, goes for an interview at Heartbreak Incorporated, um, ends up working there. And almost as soon as she starts, ends up working there, one of its clients dies in mysterious circumstances. And she's convinced that it was a murder, even though there's no real evidence. Um, and she's, she's worried that her boss did it. Um, so she starts investigating the place where she's working at you know this job is the only thing that's keeping her in new york because like otherwise she can't afford to live there she, she already owes claudia a couple months rent you know um tons of credit card debt like the usual like kids like early 20s story oh the, oh, oh, the, the usual millennial story yeah um <laughs> like i mean I, I tried to make this as like realistic as possible both about journalism which is like just you know, I talked to all my friends in, in, in journalism, in, in, in magazine journalism in, in New York and had fun 
picking their brains over things. Um, uh, and yeah, like getting this job enables her to stay in New York. Otherwise, she's moving back in with her parents in Chicago um, and giving up her dreams. And so she's walking this really careful line between keeping her job and then trying to potentially deal with this massive investigative scoop she's found about the death of this um, person from this like famous fashion design family. Um, and um, that's all I'm going to tell you. Because after that, like, you know, <laughs> because after that, you know, like, um, you, you, it's, uh, it's, I don't want to spoil the twists. I mean, yeah, I must say, must say you get super spoilery. <laughs> yeah. I, like beyond that, like, you know, it's not like it, it they're in, they're in my spoilers. Um, I gotcha. Well, it, sound, it sounds really incredible and, I, and I'm absolutely looking forward to reading it or I have enjoyed it at this point. I don't know how you did this, the whole thing with like future <laughs> releases, whatever, but, but it, it sounds fantastic. Um, so where, uh, I guess, where did the idea behind the story come from? Um, you know, it, where you just like, what, what do we need to do to like break up some people? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, secretly? I, I do remember some, uh, some friends of mine famously interceded in another friend's relationship with a girl that they really didn't like. And they said, we will give you a case of champagne if you dump her. And he dumped her and they gave her a case of champagne. So uh, my friends have actually done this. Um, I think we've all had that friend who has, who's dating someone where you're like, really? Like, yeah. do you have to? Um, and you may or may not take them aside and talk to them about it. You know, every, every, every friendship is different. Um, but I read an article in, in the New Yorker and it was, you know, it must have been 10 years ago on mistress dispellers in China, um, which who you hire to get rid of your husband's mistress or find their mistress and like just stop him spending money on Whisk them, them away. <laughs> um, and I was fascinated by that. And I thought, well, you know, this is, this is obviously a service. And I also just like, you know, there's, there's so much about like, there's so much societal emphasis on finding partners in so many different dating apps. I just thought, well, what about a breakup app? What about like, what about like, what about the opposite of that? Um, and uh, I had, you know, it, it was more also, I had Misha as a character in my head. Um, and he was one of the ones that just like moved in and like started living rent free in my head. Um, and he, like, the more you read the book, you know, the more you'll understand why, why Misha is perfect as the head of Heartbreak Inc. Um, and so, you know, the story was built around Misha and Evie and, you know, Evie is a, a character I'm very, very fond of. And also it was living in my head because, you know, she's all of us at one point or another where, you know, we all have these, we all have dreams of where we want to go in our early twenties. And then, you know, what happens to those dreams in terms of either realizing them and then realizing that. It, it wasn't what you thought it was, or you don't actually like working with these people, or, you know, it's a miserable industry where you get underpaid and, and, and ripped off, like, you know, like all sorts of things can happen. Um, you know, you used to be in real estate. That um, so we all like, don't we all change. <laughs> yeah, see, like we all change, you know, like I used to be in investment banking, like you know, in, in equity research, I was one of the boring people that did the numbers, not one of the exciting people that did the selling. Um, and, you know, so, sometimes you get what you want and find you don't want it. Sometimes you never get what you want. And yeah. Evie is, is on the brink of that. And that's a that's a particularly exciting and heartbreaking time. Um, and, you know, something as someone in the, who makes their living in the arts, I feel like I'm always on the brink of that. Like, you know, it, it, is this going to be the last book? Am I ever going to get to stay in here? You know, um, so I think there's a, there's a, there's a real sense of, I've got a real sense of affinity for Evie and her struggles about, you know, what she does with herself and how she survives in the city. I gotcha. So what, uh, what are you working on now? I know you said you have a, a lot of different projects going on now, but I guess what would be your main focus or focuses? Well, I mean, if people, like I have a, I have a um, comic that it's serializing on Panel Syndicate, which is a wonderful comic site full of like people, uh, work by people like Brian Vaughn, who did Saga and Ed Brubaker, um, some really like top names in comics and, they, and me. Um, and uh, the book's called Bad Karma. So if you go on panelsyndicate.com, you can download 140 pages of Bad Karma for free. It's pay what you like, but like, we, like if you don't pay, like we don't find out your name. We just, it just 
we never get your name, so you can have it for maybe, or maybe you do. <laughs> um, and we're going to put up chapter five in about a month and a half. We're just we're 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 working. We're like midway through it right now. So that is a free thing people can have. Um, in terms of prose, what I'm working on is um, I'm working on a more general fiction novel called uh, Village. The working title is Village Story, um, and it's about. Uh, I do a lot of. I was doing some reading about the mob, um, and it turns out that the mob owned most of the gay bars in the West Village for most of the late 60s and early 70s, hmm. because you couldn't get a liquor license as a gay person, uh, because that would be like encouraging deviant activities or something like that. Homosexuality was illegal in New York, like the liquor board wouldn't give you a license. So you had to turn to the mob and the mob would get the license and then install you as manager of your own bar. And even if you managed to get a liquor license, um, the mob uh, uh, sold you your liquor, uh, probably paid, made you pay protection to give you warning about, um, uh, about uh, police raids because like the entire sixth precinct, precinct the, the, the downtown precinct was all on the pad to beat a Genovese, all of it. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they put your uh, cigarette machines in the back. They still had them then. Um, they, you know, all your vending machines, like the loan to fit out the place, all of it came from the mob, all of it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's fun reading about Pride Parade in like 1972, because like, the first year was 1970, the Christopher Street Memorial Parade. Um, and by 1972, they're like, oh, it's so commercialized, like all these syndicate bars, like they're just using it for advertising, Pride is over, 1972. Pride number three, they're already going, you know. So like, it, it's funny. It's funny when people are like, "God, Pride is so commercialized now." And you're like, "Really now? Really?" Um, <laughs> um, so I'm writing a story about um, about two guys, like one guy who's a mobster and one guy who's who who moved to um, New York from Kansas to be, well, actually from Missouri to be out, um, and uh, their lives over the course of about five years. Um, and that's going to be slow and research heavy. I have all the research books, which are just a delight to read. Lots of like early 70s queer autobiography and like bar guides to like queer New York published in 1971, which with all of these side stories about just life and stuff and they're fabulous. Um, so I'm enjoying writing that tremendously. And you know, for someone who tends to write in third person present tense, I'm now writing it in two alternating points of view in first person because apparently I hate myself and like <laughs> But the two characters' voices are so much fun, uh, yeah. Frankie and Johnny. Um, and, uh, and I'm enjoying that a lot. The second book is the sci-fi book that came together in about a week in my head that I didn't really intend to write, but now it's here. Um, and that's about, um, it's, it's really like a book about um, scary aliens um, uh, and coming back to Earth after the aliens essentially killed all the people. Um, but the aliens are very unknowable in the Stanislav Lem kind of way. It's not like they're bipeds and you can talk to them. It's like, no, they're just like blobs of tentacles and they come around and only kill humans and leave the other, all the other animals like just to, to vibe. Um, so the dogs are just kind of like staying in each other's like, now what do we do? Yeah, dogs are kind of like, <laughs> like deer just watching them like wipe humans out, like, you know. Um, at least some of there's like uh, at least one animal perspective in that book because that would be great just just like have a chapter from a dog's perspective where it's just like watching these things just happen all these fires are starting <laughs> yeah well i mean the, the what's happening is we're actually seeing it about like 500 years after mm. the um the aliens wiped everyone out and because humans haven't been able to move on i mean like they are they have moved on to the stars but they've got these earth bases um in geosynchronous orbit over the earth and they're trying to gradually, like they're trying to take the planet back from the aliens, oh. um, but mostly through automated warfare. Because why send people down there when you can send like you know drones? Exactly. Um, so there's a bunch of people like with joysticks up, like in geosync orbit, like controlling the drones, trying to kill the aliens down there. Um, and then it all goes horribly wrong. Um, and it's really about um, generational trauma and colonization, and how many times you can fuck up the same planet, and like why those aliens are there. Um, and it's just like a small team book about a small group of people who end up, you know, um, who end up on the surface of the earth. And again, it's a thriller, like, you know, you, it, it's a thriller very much in the mold of um, something like uh, a, a Death Note or attack, the first season of Attack on Titan before it got really weird and, and like fascist. Um, 
it, it really did though. Um, where, because there's this wonderful Japanese storytelling uh, trope that, that, that influenced me a lot, which is um, you're placed into a world and neither you nor the characters fully understand that world. So the characters are, you know, it's like something is happening on a large scale in the world and the characters think they know what's going on, but they don't really. And like you and the characters are discovering how wrong they both, you both are at mm -hmm. the same time. So there's, there's very much, it, 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 it's an us versus them, which is a very Western thing. Um, and then there's also this, this, this arc of discovery um, that happens throughout the book. And that's, that's what I'm doing with this. So I think one of the charms of this for me was, was imagining um, the earth, but as like littered with like all of this, like this kind of like evolution of, of, of automated warfare. And like they started out with mechs because of course we're going to have Gundams in there. Oh, yeah. uh, but like the mechs were made for like fighting other mechs and like fighting other humans and they weren't really successful against the aliens and they were also really expensive to run. Um, so they like eventually like the aliens got them all, like they just abandoned them. There's like this mech graveyard and it's all like got kudzu vines growing over it. And you know, deer just standing around watching these like balls of tentacles, like try to obliterate the humans that have landed there. Um, and you just like, you kind of picture this in your head, like, you know, just like a summer day in, in like rural Alabama in this met graveyard with kudzu over everything and like deers munching shit. And, and like these like teams of scouts wandering through the met graveyard, trying to avoid getting wiped out by aliens, you know? That'd make a great like series. Like I, like I, I'm sitting there picturing everything. I'm just like, gosh, that'd be amazing. It'd almost be, it'd make like an amazing like manga, too. Yeah, like I, mean, I, I can just imagine I reading about, that. I, I thought about doing it as a comic, but I like I have two, I have a couple big comic program projects running right now, and I just couldn't do it. I was like, but but because of comics, I have a really visual imagination, so I can mm -hmm. sit here and be like, this is this is like this is why I'm excited about this because. You know, just imagine these people, like this team, getting this, like, getting one of the mechs up and running again, like taking the skeleton out of it, you know, like, like taking Shinji out of the machine. Um, and uh, like, you know, someone gets in, vibes it up again. And like, just like midnight, no lights, just stars. And it's like walking across the landscape. It's like right. a glowing silhouette. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's something I do a lot is have a really strong internal mind's eye of what I'm writing about. Um, and I like this because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of peril. Like it's an incredibly dangerous, like it's, it's our earth, you know, mm. um, it's, and it's as we know it, um, except not like it's familiar, but not. Um, so there's this real sense of peril and strangeness, but also the sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. uh, that sounds great uh, now i'm excited about that <laughs> stop getting me so excited <laughs> we're right faster yeah i know <laughs> yeah no yeah and, the, and the, what we always say as readers right why can't they just write faster but then like you know sitting here as bloggers i'm like can they slow down just a little bit but then you know we're reminded <laughs> you know they need to get paid you know this is their job and so yeah it, it's it's you really never you, you can't have your cake and eat it too kind of scenario okay. so <laughs> But um, I just want to I just want to say actually last question I got for you any any book recommendations you've got anything you've read this year that you're like everybody uh, Holly, needs to read um, this. All I've been reading is like you know queer autobiographies from the '70s and gay bar guides from 1971. Um, I have been reading like very very little. I've been doing so much research. I'm I'm the worst person to ask because all I read is like weird old nonfiction. Like nobody wants to read the books I want to read. Um, there might be some people. You never know. Um, what am I actually reading? Oh no, I'm reading that giant book about the mob. Um, uh, if you're interested in nonfiction about the mob, I, I'm your girl. <laughs> no worries. Oh goodness. Well, I want to. Oh, I, I do have a recommendation. Uh, well, uh, there's a manga called Witch Hat Atelier, which is really wonderful. It's about seven volumes out right now. It's kind of like the, the, the magical uh, school for girls, but it's also, it's all about creativity and especially drawing as an art. And also about, you know, whether it's ever worth moving into darkness to do something good. And the art is stunning and the story is really, really wonderful. And it's great, especially if you have um, 
like middle grade kids, like age 12 year olds, um, cause you can read it together or you can just can't like, or, or like, or what happens in our house is like the new volume arrives and like my daughter just like, Beep, and, and then I find, and then I get it when, and then she kind of throws it at me when she's done and then I read it. So that's a really fun, like one that you can, that, that's, um, that's kid appropriate, but uh, it's sophisticated enough that you can read it as an adult. And like, it's, it's talk about, you know, visually stunning, fantasy worldscapes it's just gorgeous um what so yeah title, what was the title again which hat which, which hat like um which pointy hat got it <laughs> awesome well uh thank you so much for taking the time today to come chat with me and uh and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh heartbreak incorporated and I'm definitely looking forward to starting the scottish boy uh your debut from last year and i'm really looking forward to that thriller too so you keep keep writing that thing I, I'm, I'm definitely gonna be one of your first readers for it so yes. but uh best of luck with the publication i mean i know it'll, it'll be out by the time this airs but um you know, best of luck with heartbreak i hope it sells tons of copies and keeps you motivated for the next book um and uh we'll do this again sometime i'd love that thanks a lot uh, thank you <laughs>